Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here's what's on the John Oakley Show podcast for Tuesday, September 15th, 2020. Customers of a novelty toy company in Seattle were surprised to find their purchases blocked by PayPal because of a naming mix-up with a wanted international arms dealer. Scientists believe they've discovered biosignatures in the clouds of Venus. We may not be alone. And the International Auto Show in Toronto is cancelled this year, but organizers aren't ready to throw in the towel just yet. All of this starts now. Guy who's well uh, into improv comedy, sketch comedy. He's also making toys and selling them to happy people. Uh, he works with Archie McPhee, which is a toy seller based in Seattle and home of the Rubber Chicken Museum. But this week they ran into some kind of an impediment with PayPal over one of their little uh, fuzzy water bears called a Tardigard. Let's find out what that's all about. David Wall, how you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, by the way, uh, describe for me, because I called it a water bear and uh, a Tardigard. What is that? Uh, or tardigrade, tardigrade, my apologies. Yeah, tardigrade is, what it is, is it's a microscopic animal, and um, it's, uh, it actually, tardigrade means slow walker in Italian. Uh, the scientist who discovered it named it that, and it's known because uh, it's one of the most indestructible creatures on Earth. It can live at the bottom of the sea, it can live in extreme heat, extreme cold, and it's even lived for 10 days in space. Uh, and uh, some people find it cute. I am, happen to be one of those people. <laughs> Right, and so this was turned into uh, a toy or, a, I guess, a, a, a glittery green ornament of sorts by your company, right? Exactly, yeah. We have a whole line of uh, tardigrade products, including a stress tardigrade that you can squeeze to, squeeze to relieve your stress, tardigrade mints, uh, tardigrade finger puppets. And this year for Christmas, we thought a tardi glittery tardigrade ornament would be the perfect thing for everyone's Christmas tree. But we were shocked when customers tried to order it using PayPal, and they were blocked from ordering it. And why is that, David? Well, it turns out, <laughs> they, well, they told the customers at first, they said that uh, the customers had violated PayPal's user agreement by trying to order it. And eventually, uh, we, we got in touch with PayPal, and they, they informed not us, but a reporter that a, a Soviet arms dealer uh, had started a company named Tardigrade Limited. So PayPal had put a blanket block on the word tardigrade on all sales. <laughs> and so if somebody was expecting a tardigrade, some tardigrade merch uh, to come in the mail, uh, it could be an AK-47 for all they know. I mean, uh, this was the I, I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no. So where does that leave you? I mean, this is your company's lifeblood, and now you're stalled this impediment. I mean, uh, are you going to have to reach uh, some rapprochement here with his Balkans arm dealer? 
Oh no! Well, what we did, we for the ornament, I did a quick fix where I removed the word tardigrade from it and renamed it the water bear ornament. Water bear being one of the cute nicknames, uh, moss piglet being the other cute nickname for tardigrades, um, and uh, I renamed it the water bear uh, ornament. And uh, our fingers are crossed that PayPal. Uh, they say that once they review it, they will reverse the decision and allow the sales to go through. But it's not just us. There are a range of companies that have tardigrade tardigrade products. Uh, cr- you know across the world uh so i hope they they do it for all companies you know it's interesting because uh the thought just ran through my head here as we're talking about these tardigrades and the toys and everything it's almost like we're dialing it back to the famous minkman sketch from saturday night live <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> pretty much i think we're right there. <laughs> it's a minkman <laughs> It's a minkman. It's quality, <laughs> right? How did you fall into this? How did you fall into this line of work, David? Um, it, uh, well, the company is owned by uh, Mark Paulo, and uh, I started packing boxes on the line here uh, like 27 years ago, and I've worked my my way up to uh, director of awesome here. So I get to spend all day coming up with uh, toys and products and novelties of all kinds. I'm the inventor of hander pants, underpants for your hands, <laughs> and uh, you know it's uh, it's amazing around here. Uh, we did finger hands, the horse mask. You've probably seen our products all over the place. Hmm. By the way, uh, just a quick uh, straw poll. Uh, which is funnier, palm buzzer or whoopee cushion? Oh, for me, I would have to say whoopee cushion. You can't, you can't beat a classic like that. All right, fake vomit or turd on the bill of a ball cap? Oh, I would go with fake vomit in that case. <laughs> it depends. It depends what the person's eaten. Because if you look at fake vomit, they distinguish it now by what the person ate beforehand. So they have Italian food, fake vomit, Chinese food, fake vomit, pizza, fake vomit. You know, so it really depends what which one you get. That's genius. I don't know who's come come up with this. X-ray glasses or potato gun? Oh, I I I am um, I actually uh, I'm wearing an X-ray glasses T-shirt right now. So I'm going to go with X-ray glasses. Did you uh, scour the backs of comic books and things like that when you were a kid and watch some of the stuff with rap fascination and wonder about ordering it? Oh, of course I did. You know, you're reading my mind. That's like my life history right there. My life history is written in those little boxes in the backs of comic books. Uh, you know, I ordered everything. I was disappointed by it. And now I get to sell it to other people. Well, there you go. But, I mean, it's got to be sort of a, a labor of love when you see the smiling, happy faces, the people receiving these gifts and these tardigrades. I mean, it's got to bring a special kind of joy, no? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I I have to say, like um, we we are memory makers, and a lot of the stuff that we make is something you buy because it reminds you of someone else. So we sell, for instance, a crazy cat lady action figure, and if you have a crazy cat lady in your life, it makes an excellent gift for them and a nice uh, touching thing. We sell lots of bacon products, so if you have a bacon eater that uh, bacon lover in your family, you send them a bacon product, and it's a nice little remembrance. So we 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 uh, we really bring people together. And I should say, to punctuate the point that you guys have the cred, you're the home of the Rubber Chicken Museum. We are the home of the Rubber Chicken. We have the world's largest rubber chicken, the world's smallest rubber chicken, and the world's second smallest rubber chicken. (laughs) We built built the smallest rubber chicken, then decided it wasn't small enough, so we built another (laughs) one. Wow. Uh, That's creativity in action, or some kind of industriousness. I'm not sure what the appropriate word is, but David, (laughs) listen, if anybody wanted to find your stuff, they got to go online, where would they go? They can go to mcphee.com. That's M-C-P-H-E-E dot com. 
Well, there you go. You know, at least somebody's still smiling in Seattle. What with all the strife and the, the fires and all the rest. I know but we're t- we're covered in smoke, <laughs> but we're we're rubber chicken strong. <laughs> there, you, there you are. All right, that's a T-shirt in it, uh, of itself. David Wall, <laughs> again from Archie McPhee in Seattle. Thanks so much. Great to uh, have you weigh in this afternoon. Ah, uh, thank you so much. In the clouds of Venus. Scientists may have found signs of extraterrestrial life, so it's been reported. Saw that report yesterday, and the astrobiologist with MIT and a member of the team that reported the discovery has joined us on the line. Sarah Seeger is here on The Oakley Show. Sarah, good afternoon, and welcome to The Oakley Show in Toronto, Canada. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. You know, just a, a fascinating report that came out yesterday. And uh, in terms, I guess, intergalactic terms, uh, this was found relatively in our backyard, would you say, this discovery. So uh, tell us exactly what the discovery is and how you came upon this in the clouds of Venus. Yes, well, the discovery actually was made by radio telescopes here on the ground that we pointed towards Venus. And the team's goal was specifically to look for a gas that on Earth is only associated with life. The gas is called phosphine. It sounds kind of obscure because it is. And we looked for phosphine and found it in the atmosphere of Venus. Now, phosphine, it's very reactive. It's nearly impossible to make. And so it shouldn't be there. It's incredibly, almost unbelievable. So it's predicated on some living organism is what you're saying. So that's kind of the deduction that was made then? Well, not totally, because we never like to speculate quite, quite that much. All we're seeing is we have a confident detection of a gas that doesn't belong in the atmosphere. And there could be two explanations that, honestly, they're equally crazy. One of them is the one that there might be life in the clouds of Venus producing this gas. And the other is that there's some unknown chemistry. We literally worked through every possible way to make phosphine, and none of it seems viable on Venus. So when you saw this through the telescope, uh, and I'm guessing that there is a certain spectrum uh, and it shows up at a certain point in the spectrum that tells you that this is the actual gas that you, what, uh, right. detected or isolated. Correct. I see. And so, so uh, go ahead. Yeah, so when, so but first of all, the team was led by Professor Jane Greaves from the UK. And she first found it using a radio telescope in Hawaii called the James Cook Maxwell Telescope. But it was kind of a weak signature. And my team got invited to join the project after that when we proposed to a much more powerful telescope in Chile. It's an array of telescopes in the high desert of Chile. And honestly, most of us didn't believe the first observation. And we thought we'd never see it with the more powerful telescope. But lo and behold, there it was, a stronger signal than ever. Well, that's kind of fascinating, the stronger signal. So, uh, you know, sometimes, I guess, uh, scientists, when you find, like, uh, uh, an almost negligible amount or trace amounts, but in what amount did you find this gas showing up on your, uh, I guess, your uh, sighting mechanism? A very, very small amount. We call it 20 parts per billion. So if we had a billion of anything, like a billion tennis balls or a billion billiard balls. Right. So in other words, uh, this was just, you know, a trace amount, but still detectable. What needs to be done now to follow up so that you can maybe ascertain that this is, in fact, what you found and then draw a link to whatever would have produced this gas? Well, we can try to use other telescopes here on Earth to confirm the presence of phosphine, but that might be tricky because phosphine is a pretty weak absorber 
at other wavelengths other than the telescope that we use. You know, to make the link to life is in, it's disappointing, I know, but it's incredibly challenging. But ultimately, we'd like to send a focused space mission to go to Venus. And in our kind of best case scenario, we'd be able to send a balloon that would float in the atmosphere and it could take measurements of gases and it could look for complex molecules that only are made by life. And it could also even try to look for signs of life itself. And so I'm guessing, though, that the balloon would be released by the spacecraft that went to uh, and orbited around Venus. Would that be correct? Right, right. That's correct. And the Russians in the 1980s sent a balloon, actually two balloons. And each balloon lasted for a couple of days. And did they not send back anything that might have also led them to maybe detect this gas? Or is it just kind of a hit and miss proposition at this point? Well, unfortunately for these things, you really you usually have to plan what you're looking for. And it certainly wasn't something that they were looking for. One of them, however, one of the Venus missions did actually find phosphorus, the element phosphorus, which makes up phosphine gas. But they didn't associate it with any given molecule. So right now, NASA has two missions, I understand, to Venus uh, under review. Would that tell you anything, or did this ship sail before you knew what you were looking for? I'm not 100% sure what those missions are capable of or if they have any flexibility, you know, to change what they're doing. But I want to share with you that I'm this right now, I'm leading a mission study. So it's a six-month study of what it would really take to find signs of life or life itself in Venus's atmosphere. So, Sarah, whether it's Venus or Mars or uh, any other place in not just the solar system, but the universe, what are the broader implications of finding that form? Well, people want to know, like, uh, people sometimes just want to know what is out there. You know, is there something bigger than ourselves? Is there something more than than our, our daily grind? And I think exploring, like wanting to know what's out there, finding new things, it's part of what makes us human. And sometimes it really does give us uh, a purpose. Well, uh, you've got your purpose for sure, and this is a breakthrough. Uh, I'm hearing it's heralded as uh, something rather significant, which is why we wanted to talk about it. Sarah Seeger, again, uh, astrobiologist with MIT, a member of the team that reported this discovery of uh, a gas in the clouds of Venus that might signal extraterrestrial life. There's a, a rather sad uh, story with the auto show, the international auto show that takes place annually down at the convention center. Ain't going to happen this year, and uh, they're calling it off until at least 2022. Uh, let's find out. David McLean has joined us on the line. He's the director of marketing for the international auto show, and he can explain the wherefore and the why. David, good to have you on the Oakley Show this afternoon. How are things? Yeah, you know what, John? They're actually pretty good, and thanks for having me on. All right, but uh, COVID-19 killed another live showcase here. They're falling left, right, and center. What's the thinking behind the auto show uh, keeping things uh, off limits until 2022? Well, John, we just announced today that we're uh, we're uh, working on and presenting a virtual platform for the auto manufacturers in Canada, uh, allowing them to share their own brand experience, to engage consumers with their brand voice through a virtual platform versus a physical one. Uh, you know, this this is something that wasn't just uh, uh, you know born out of the, uh, the the pandemic that we all faced in the middle of March. It's it's it is something that we started talking about last last fall and the need for a virtual platform to marry with our physical event. Uh, you know, to live consistently beside it and, and emulate what's happening within our physical event because you know manufacturers were demanding more out of auto shows uh, in general. They were you know looking at the attribution value of auto shows to retail sales. 
And so we had planned to launch this in 2022. But in fact, when things happened in March, it just required that we accelerate our planning and make sure that we deliver an experience for consumers in the market area that uh, is consistent with, to the best of our ability, with what we presented in the past. But David, I'm trying to figure out how this could be replicated in a virtual setting or a virtual world. Uh, What would the attractions be or how would you exactly do that? So it just doesn't look like, you know, a consumer site where you're picking cars on, you know, uh, CarMax or somewhere like that. How would this work? Yeah, no, and that's a fair question. We're not looking at uh, building out a platform that simply connects with manufacturers' websites. I mean, certainly that can be done, and that would be easy. But we're building our own unique platform, a very uh, immersive platform for consumers, uh, where they experience a show. We're going to have the show open from 10.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. every night. Uh, Certainly, we're going to build out our own unique content, our classics display, auto exotica, our motorsport display. We'll build in layers of promotion. Uh, you know, with, uh, you know, thousands of dollars in giveaways for people uh, and a way for them to experience a, a variety of brands and, and unique, unique product that's available from the manufacturers for them to at least, you know, view that hasn't been seen before. I mean, you know, the, the platform itself does not replace our physical event, but it does give us an opportunity to present the auto industry in a slightly different way. I mean, when you think about it, manufacturers, manufacturers can present product that they otherwise couldn't bring to a, to a show in Toronto because of conflicts with other scheduling, cost uh, considerations, a number of reasons. Manufacturers could have their global re- representatives uh, addressing the Canadian marketplace. I mean, for instance, if General Motors of Canada wanted to have Mary Barra addressing two Canadians, the future of electric vehicles being manufactured by GM and what it means for the Canadian marketplace, they could do that. It would be difficult for them to get her uh, here during the auto show. Again, with David McLean, David, uh, and we're all rueful about this, the Director of Marketing for the International Auto Show. Uh, it's been placed in a different format because the live show, the showcase down there at the uh, Metro Convention Center isn't going to happen at least until 2022. You know, I mean, a lot of us just like to walk through, uh, you know, all of the different makes and models, a virtual tour of the floor. I mean, can you see doing something like that? Is that going to be a part of it? Well, it's, it's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be uh, a presentation utilizing the Metro Toronto Convention Centre and the, the floor space, whether it be the north or south halls that you're visiting. Manufacturers will remain in their location as they were last year, in our, well, this past February, in our 2020 event. And so you will actually walk through the halls. Uh, there will be, you know, it's going to be interesting because we had to look at things. What do people do when they go to the auto show? Well, they don't go alone. So we're going to introduce co-browsing technology so you can go through with friends. We're, we also realize that people don't go through when it's quiet. I mean, that's, that just doesn't happen either. There's always an abundance of people. So we're going to populate it with, you know, different avatars, background noise, announcements that are happening because of, you know, what, what's happening at manufacturer exhibits, sponsor announcements, things like that. So we're going to create an environment that is as close as possible to what a physical event is. But it is, it is virtual. You can't compare the two. Uh, they, they both have different experiences. So, David, when is this then going to be on uh, various platforms that people people can access? Uh, is the schedule still for February? The schedule is for February 12th to the 21st, uh, the, the same dates that we had for our physical event. So, you know, and as I said, it'll, uh, you know, the hours will be the same, 10.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Uh, you know, it, it will shut down over, uh, you know, over during the evening because manufacturers may have a physical connection to their virtual platform. If they decided that they wanted to host... 13 or 14 different cars in a warehouse somewhere and then have people, you know, connect through their virtual experience, 
and you know through these meeting technologies we have whether it's zoom or skype or go to but they you know there's a lot of different ways that they connect and, and with brand ambassadors or or simply a chat room if that's what they desire so there's going to be a physical requirement from manufacturers so we're we decided that it would be best to put on specific hours put the event on during specific hours as we usually do How's that going to work? I mean, uh, you derive uh, a large part of the revenue through ticket sales. And if you've got, and I understand over 300,000 people visit this, you know, in uh, just over a week. So if you've not got live people coming up through the gates, uh, how do you recover, let's say, capital outlay on this, if I can ask? Yeah, you can ask. The, the business model is different. Certainly the manufacturers will participate and there will be a fee for that. Uh, you know, we do have different sponsor integration and, and uh, ways to generate revenue there. Uh, the one thing that we, you know, we, we really haven't talked about, but what allows us to go a little bit deeper with a virtual platform is the data and the value of the data uh, that uh, that we can realize. And that's not anything that's private or personal, but it's it's more about behavioral patterns of, of, of people as a larger group and what that is worth to uh, to certain, uh, you know, to certain companies, uh, to certain industries. So there are a number of different ways that we generate revenue, some richer than others, and, and some where we're going to be challenged, as you said, John. Uh, we don't know yet if we're going to charge a, a nominal fee for what people would pay for a small gaming app or you know the, the equivalent of renting a movie. That hasn't been decided yet, but uh, certainly uh, over the next month we will, uh, we will be nailing all of that down. You know, one of the attractions of the auto show, too, are the prototypes that get rolled out, and uh, maybe they're not really uh, ready for production, but they're, you know, fanciful concept cars and things like that. Uh, are we going to, what are the ones that maybe because the show is not going to be, well, you're going to be doing it virtually. I mean, would there still be some of these prototypes uh, being manufactured in the plants, the one-offs, uh, so to speak, kind of the showcase cars, is still going to be able to see that in the virtual presentation? Yeah, well, I think there'll be actually even more. Uh, you know, manufacturers have a warehouse full, not just a warehouse full of clay model prototypes. I mean, the prototypes that we see in the, in the pre-production models we see at the uh, the show, not really pre-production, but prototype we see at shows these days, they're more likely to end up on the road than, than they were, say, 10 years ago when they were nothing but clay models. But certainly there are more concept cars that are available to us if we find ways to bring them in. So I think that the platform through a virtual experience is going to provide people with more access to that. Uh, you know, one unique thing that happened last night, Hyundai did a global unveiling for their new Tucson, and uh, they did it through a YouTube uh, YouTube presentation, and it was absolutely incredible. And so manufacturers are really, they've got a quick handle on how to market vehicles uh, through through digital platforms. It's now making sure that we create a show experience. So finally, I mean, to whet the appetite, I get it, February 12th is still a ways off, but uh, to get us thinking about it, anything else that you might cite here that you can let the cat out of the bag on, David? Well, I think that, you know, we're, we're looking at creating some unique content. I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult to say what we're going to be able to do, but I mean, I think that, you know, building a, a stronger entertainment element, and that being with actual entertainers and some Canadian entertainers, marrying that between, uh, you know, music and automobiles is going to be a natural. So I think the experience is going to be something uh, that people will look forward to, and it's not going to be a compromise by any means. Good enough. Uh, February can't come soon enough. 
but uh, we're waiting. Hopefully by then, you know, maybe maybe there will be some kind of an answer to this darn thing, this drat uh, plague that has confounded everything and disrupted our lives. David McLean, Director of Marketing for the International Auto Show, goes in February, uh, but we just wanted to give you a preview of what might be in store because it's a different one, the live event in-house at the Metro Convention Center is uh, put off until 2022, but it's going to be a virtual show this year. Appreciate it, David, very much. All right. Thank you, Jeff. This has been the Oakley Show podcast for Tuesday, September 15, 2020. You can listen live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 Eastern. Turn the dial to 640, listen live at 640toronto.com, or search the name John Oakley on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 